podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. I was at a Henry VIII museum the other day and I looked at a picture of the wives and she had bite marks all over her. So I asked one of the people, why is, why is that? And he said, well, because he's Tudor. <laughs> <laughs> Adding nice. an, a historical element to your Jake. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, so I saw the musical Six last week, which is really good. Mm. Um, and I'd heard that joke ages ago and I thought I'll bring this back. Uh, so go see Six. It's very good. And read history books because they're fun. Yeah, I, I've seen Six. I took Jess for her birthday this year and it was a it's laugh. Great, yeah, yeah, very good. Really well done. There you go, uh, Lawrence. There's a. I called you Lawrence there. This is that's a serious start to the pod. <laughs> that's not me asking. I don't want six. I don't want that to be my rating, Lawrence. That's not what I was saying. <laughs> well, six is the name of a show. Um, I can honestly say you won't know this, Nate, but um, I wasn't that good at history when I was at school. But there was only one period that I really enjoyed, and yeah. it was the Tudors, Nate. Yes. So already you've got a so bonus point. For, well, understood it, but also I really I liked reading about old Henry VIII and his wives. So you've got bonus points already. So How many gonna... wives did he have, Lawrence? Six. Yes. <laughs> we gave it away earlier, but it's fine. I'm pretty sure I can name them all, but I don't want to oh, take this podcast on, yeah. down that much. Try, no, no, no. <laughs> Try and name them, and then, and then we can roll into F1. So pretty, it's Catherine of Aragon, Anne yes. Boleyn, Jane Seymour. Yes. Yeah. Oh, Anne wow, of yeah. Cleves. Uh, oh, no, the fifth one. There's another Catherine, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Catherine Parr? Yeah. yeah. Oh, no. oh, no, I was doing so well. Who's the sixth one? Um, well, this is one of the jokes, isn't it, in, in six, is that oh, this I one don't, almost gets oh, forgotten. Oh, no, so I have forgotten. Oh, no, oh, that's devastating because I thought I was going to get there. I'm not going to get it. Wow. So I saw the musical Five the other day. It was really good. <laughs> <laughs> no! <laughs> um, uh, it's Catherine it... Howard. Oh. Two Catherines for the price of one. Okay. All right. Well, I enjoyed it, Nate. And so to bring it back to what we're supposed to be talking about here, you're going to get a nine for that. <laughs> yes. Ooh, I wow. loved it. I genuinely loved it. It was great. Awesome. It was great. So Henry VIII got me a nine with his six wives. <laughs> Numbers. Number crunch. That's number Wang. Welcome to the Padhog, a podcast featuring stories following Formula One around the world. I'm Lance Bretto, presenter and F1 correspondent. Oh, I'm Chris Medland, F1 correspondent at Racer. And I'm Nate Saunders from ESPN. Ooh. Yeah, Bretto just my threw title me around. You did, yeah. <laughs> but I feel like you just accidentally did it. You just kind of, yeah, thought so. Yeah, Maybe we should all be different. I am Racer, correspondent at F1? No, that's... <laughs> I am Saunders Nate, reporter <laughs> F1, ESPN. At yeah uh well sensational work good start um it sounds like we've got everything under control and are completely on top of things uh so i'm gonna get straight into the good stuff the stuff that makes it sound good the reviews reviews, reviews. um because i believe this one was not in the last episode but it's a good one uh the goat of f1 podcasts but f1 is in inverted commas which i appreciate yeah. from sam from england uh who funny enough is from england Thank you, Sam. Uh, three likable blokes talking about F1 and everything else. How could this not be amazing? There are so many more serious F1 pods 
that offers that this offers a refreshing change. Case in point, Lawrence was drunk on the first pod I listened to, and it was brilliant. Uh, also, never heard of Nate before this, but now I think I want to be best friends with him. Keep up the good work, lads. Would love to see a live recording one day. So, uh, Sam from England, uh, if you reply again, I'll give you Nate's number, and you two can uh, start WhatsApping. His uh, his gift game is strong. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean that's I. I think a lot of people, you two, you two definitely pack the most punch in terms of clout, and I'm just here. So yeah, I like that. I'm you're the really... funny one, Nate. <clears throat> this podcast wouldn't yeah, be, be any I've good be, without you. I've got to be on on account of lacking so much clout. Well, you say that, but your your Twitter game certainly on Saturday had plenty of clout, didn't it, Nate? It because did, yes, before I get onto the next review, do you want to give us a stat that you had been desperate to yes. um, share with the world over the weekend? Well, there's two. There's two stats, because yeah. courtesy of Carlos Sainz. Yeah, the, the second one didn't stat, bang quite so well, did it? No, it didn't quite as well. But you know, it, it was it was um, it still did okay. First stat is Carlos Sainz is now just the sixth driver with car in his name to take an F1 pole position. And for all of the people that tweeted me saying, "Are you including Lewis Carl Hamilton in that?" No, is the answer. <laughs> that's not in the record books, is it? And you're you're sad for knowing his middle name. Um, but yeah, so that did like like twenty eight thousand people liked it or something, something silly. Uh, and then he's the eighth F one driver uh, with car in his name to win a race. Now we'll get to more of this in a sec. But whose phone is going off like it's nineteen ninety nine? I'm just hearing your in the background here, which I'm sure the listeners are hearing. That was mine. Sorry, what I hadn't realised is I had WhatsApp opened on my desktop. And um, and people were messaging me, so I can only apologise, guys. Sorry. It's all right. We're just Sorry. getting all the all the feedback. Outrageous. Okay. All right. Um, Connor Nate, let's go with the six pole sitters. Yes. You want you know you want to know them all? Yeah. So Alberto Ascari, Carlos Reutemann, Ricardo Patrese, Ooh. Giancarlo Fisichella, Ooh. and oh my you god, can't I remember. Carlos Pache. Oh, Carlos Pache, of course. Carlos Pache of Interlagos fame. Um, and now Carlos signs. Six it is. Now that did bang. That did that absolutely did bang. bang. So it was a great, and it's a that's great tweet. Twitter clout. That is Twitter yeah, clout. But um, I mean, I'm still only on 15,000 followers, Matters, which is a drop in the ocean compared to. what? And Barretta's got quite a few, I think. Yeah, he must have. I'm going to check it oh, in just a second. I don't. I actually don't know how 43, many. 43,000. It's pretty good. Okay. That's not enough. Can we get him more? He's <laughs> got a lovely header shot of him and Kimmy having a, having a lol uh, during Kimmy's I miss Kimmy. Alpha. I really miss that, Kimmy. That is a great. great he misses shot. you. He said. <laughs> we he all miss. We all miss it. friends. You know. That's why you miss him because he's a friend of yours. A good close buddy. <laughs> buddy. <laughs> because remember, he is there and you are not. Um. um well, but. Oh, go on. Yeah, we we have got more reviews, and they're they're asking a lot. Uh, this this next one is from um, MRKGUMD via Apple Podcasts in the US of A. I just assume that was a natu- uh, like an automated uh, username, but the title, "The Padhock Cures Cancer?" question mark, which is asking a lot. Um, I'm a Drive to Survive fan, uh, Drive to Survive F1 fan convert. And I found this podcast when looking up that guy who did all the interviews in season one of Drive to Survive. Sorry. 
Uh, I'm also a scientist who helps develop immunotherapies to treat and sometimes fully cure patients' cancers, and I will frequently listen to episodes of the Padhawk while doing experiments in the lab. Thus, one could argue that this podcast has contributed indirectly to curing cancer. Is this a stretch? Possibly. But seriously, I love the pod and always look forward to new episodes. Thanks for continuing to make me excited about F1 and for making my long days in the lab seem a bit more bearable. I wish we knew your real name because that's an actual proper, like... Yeah. Like, yeah, I was going like, to say, like, good person. I, yeah. I did wonder where the where you're the title making was a going. difference. This is incredible. Yeah. yeah, but that is awesome. That's that that's like genuinely like world changing work. So, yeah, hats off to you. Yeah, thank that, you. Proper job. That, we're only just off you, but we're, yeah. we're slight, yeah. slightly below. So M R K G U M D, all capital letters, by the way. So it's got more clout there. Um, keep doing what you're doing. We're very impressed. In fact, yeah, what you're doing right now while listening to this, that's going to secure it. So when it does, you can thank us. Um, and the final one is, I mean, no offence to Natural Light One, uh, who sent this one in, but I just don't think it, it's going to match curing cancer. Uh, this podcast is a good podcast, is the title. Uh, while listening to the paddock, I often think, would I get the same enjoyment from listening to any three guys talk about anything? Or is there something special about these guys talking about this thing? After listening for a year, I've made up my mind. The Padhawk is special. Ah, oh, thank you, Natural that's Light lovely. One. That's just. That's... And I'm also I'm also a fan of Natural Light. So, yeah, me too. Yeah, it's a scientific phenomenon. So mm. mutual. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. very nice, actually. I think I'm pretty sure if you found three, you could find three people talking about something, and it would be entertaining, more entertaining. But I don't know who they would be. Maybe it's us three talking about something else. Well, we frequently talk about other things. Other than yeah, we, we really yeah. do talk about the right thing. That's true. That is true. Well, yeah. thank you very much for all of those reviews. But um, can we go on to the review that I know all of the listeners really want to hear? Which well, hang that? on. There's, there's another review. Oh, no. Yeah, this sorry. is the review. This is the one everyone wants to hear. There's another review. This one. Um, oh, actually, no. It was a five-star review on Spotify from Tanner Vincent Feltz, who uh, DM'd us on Twitter, from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, saying thank you for this podcast I could listen to you all for hours as I feel like it's a trio of friends chatting about what they love uh, and then said here's proof of my five star review but it is just a five star review there's no comment so that's that uh, there's another one too uh, Max Verstappen 1 but not the Max Verstappen 1 on Twitter five stars wonderful motorsport podcast with 10% of it being about motorsport and 90% about more entertaining things uh, yeah that's uh, that's true okay Sorry, Nate. You're up. If you've only got one minute to spare, want to know who finished when and where, sit back, relax, because we got you. Here's Nate with the 60-second review. Here's my review of the British Grand Prix. Enjoy. First position, it was the smooth operator, sweet Carlos Sainz. Lucky operator. I would say, but you've got to be sometimes. He's been unlucky in other situations, so fair play to him. Second position was the Mexican Minister of doing really well at the end when the safety car presents a great opportunity of defence, Sergio Perez. Third position, and through goes Hamilton into third position. Another podium, that Mercedes looking much better. Charles Leclerc, man, Ferrari, what are you doing? How do you keep doing these things? Charles, it's very upsetting. We're all sad for you. Fifth position, the greatest drive of all time for Fernando Alonso. Sixth position, Lando flying the flag. Max dropped down like a stone, didn't he, when his car was damaged. Mick in eighth. Get in there, Mick. Finally some points. Vettel in ninth. Was cheering Mick along in the car, he said. K-Mag, my boy, in tenth. Every week I do this. The Canadians finish next to each other. 
Done it again. Stroll on Latifi, 11th and 12th. 13, unlucky for some, and it is unlucky for Danny Rick. Uh, the race, we were lucky because uh, Guan Yu Zhou walked out okay. So did Alex Albon. Delighted those guys are okay. Ocon, Gasly, Bottas, Russell also didn't finish, but it could have been a lot worse on the day. So well done, F1. Strong. I yeah. like it, Nate. I like it. I was I was hoping that you would sing at the start because obviously smooth operator. Yeah, had to. You know, sweet Carlos. Well, it was Sainz. like a double chance to sing. It was wasn't there, it? Wasn't he it? sings. Yeah, so, and, and I... we obviously did that sweet Carlos signs. But um, yeah, very happy he won. It was very. It's overdue, isn't it? I know that you're a big fan of him, Lawrence. And I actually looked back. I uh, looked back to one of our preview shows, and we were raving about him pre-season, weren't we? Um, so it's good. Hopefully, he gets things back on track now. Yeah, I feel um, like he's really turned a corner. Um, over the last couple of races. Well, look at the um, last two races. Canada was second. Obviously, Leclerc wasn't in the in the fight really, but second in the race and then first in at Silverstone. So, good yeah, signs. he was so, struggling. I think a little bit. Signs. Very good, very good. He was struggling a little bit. I think with the front end of the car, he just wasn't comfortable with it, and they seem to have made some adjustments to get him more comfortable. And I think Canada and Silverstone, obviously different circuits, and to be strong at both of them, I think it's really encouraging. I think you're right. I think there was some fortune in it, but you know, you could look back at Canada, Monaco, Monza, as races where he could have won. You know, he could have won on multiple occasions, and these things come around. So um, yeah. yeah, I think it was a great result for for him um, and for his confidence. And I think it's actually great for Ferrari's constructors' championship hopes because you need both yeah. that him and Charles. Um, fighting and Red Bull proved at Silverstone that they're going to have off weekends and I know Ferrari didn't fully take advantage but it's just proof that it's not dead yet this Ferrari championship at least in the constructor side I think they might struggle a bit more on the driver's side yeah. but yeah I agreed and I think it's, it, if Max hadn't had that piece of floor under his car he probably would have walked it because it yeah, was so agreed. fast <clears throat> so I'm kind of still thinking he's going to kind of canter away with the championship but you're right like in those situations it's good that it's good to have science up there as well. Um, and he's not just been struggling with the front end. Both Ferrari drivers have had a much bigger problem this season, haven't they, Lawrence? Which is the pit wall on the strat. The Ferrari just being Ferrari, which I think both of them has probably has probably cost them at different points in their Ferrari careers better results. Yeah, so. the, the pit wall has been an issue not just this year, but for decades, yeah. I would say. Like they've even through their how. successful periods, right? They've yeah. they've struggled with it. What um, do you think it I is? Mean, do right. they I overthink things? That. Is it, are they overthinking it? Are they are they indecisive? Are they because it like the even the team orders thing it, in the end of the at the end of the day it didn't turn out to be consequential because the safety car changed everything. But that doesn't mean they didn't make you know when they were dithering over whether to put Charles ahead and Lewis was catching and it was like the obvious call here is let Leclerc get ahead, build that buffer, and then Lewis is then in a fight with with Carlos and it took ages to do that and I wondered why I didn't you know I didn't understand what they were doing I think they're just trying to do the right thing as in for yeah, both maybe. their drivers and but they you can't do that I think especially in that yeah. particular scenario when they were afforded such a great opportunity when Max kind of dropped out of it and then when Lewis was such a threat like a genuine threat for the win I guess at that point, someone just had to be a bit more brutal and, and make a, a bigger call. And they were just trying to kind of hedge their bets for as long as possible. Um, I can see why one side, they wanted Carlos to finally get that win under his belt because it could have hurt him a lot more confidence-wise if, if they'd given the win effectively to Charles. But then yeah. equally, Charles had how many races now this year when strategy hasn't gone his way, when he hasn't had good fortune. So I, I wonder now what impact that's going to have on his kind of confidence um, going forward. Because he's got to start thinking at some point, right? 
like when am I going to have to start overriding some of these decisions? Maybe he's got to be more assertive. Maybe he's got to be the one who's coming on the radio and going no in the way that Carlos is quite confident in doing. One thing we never hear Charles do, I know Lewis gets a lot of flat for his radio messages, but I love hearing him on the radio because he's always he's always going back to the pit wall, isn't he? And he's saying like, why are we doing this? Was this the right call? And sometimes he's wrong, but he's he allows himself to be wrong. You know, he, he, he argues with the pit wall and sometimes they're like, you know what? Yeah, if that's what you're feeling, do it. We don't hear that so much from Charles. Um, and I think he needs to be a bit more like that, you know, and because um, it's better to be argumentative and be told, look, this we, we're doing the right thing than to be quiet and to not say, I think this is the, you know, the better call here. So um, he was quite polite, wasn't he? Yeah, like the way he, he inquired about things. And he was even like, you know, I'm not saying we have to do this or that where you have to swap us. Just can we go quicker? Because I can go quicker, that sort of thing. And I'm, yeah, I'm with you guys. I think they should have swapped them a lot earlier. And it was fair enough to give Carlos the target time that he then didn't hit, but that came five laps too late. That should have been as soon as, as Leclerc could cruise up into DRS range or close enough. Then you go, okay, right, that the car behind right now is quicker. Can you match its pace? If not, we're swapping you. Because, well, the bigger issue then came at the end of the race when Leclerc had enough of an advantage over Science for them to double stack mm-hmm. under the safety car, and they chose not to. And I just don't understand that at all. They had half a lap to make that decision or best part of and they it's not like it was last split second dive into the pits it was they had time to go what's the best thing to do now there was absolutely no way that by both pitting both that you were going to lose out to Hamilton over the rest of the race distance because Mm. if Lewis stayed out for track position and took the lead on his hards okay they were fresher than the other two had been but by going on to softs you've spun that on its head and you've got the the quicker car and the better tyre, you're going to win the race, like, almost certainly. I just don't get why they... If you look at kind of how hard it was for Lewis to get past Charles even for a spell, like, they just got it. They got it so wrong on that point. They should have been one too. Um, and I think Ferrari are a bit annoyed that they're getting questioned about a race they won with Carlos, but it's because it's a race that they didn't do the best job in uh, and it's hurt one of their drivers and it still hurt their constructor's position and it was their big chance uh, in terms of up against Red Bull in trouble. So... Yeah, they. I, I think Leclerc has much more reason to be angry. I think Carlos did the right things um, in the way he questioned things, in the way he just approached the race and took his his chance when it came. But you're right. I think if if Charles had been more assertive, then he would have probably won that race just by saying to the team, you know, don't don't play games here, don't mess around, don't try and be too nice. You can't keep everyone happy. You've just got to be ruthless. And it might have cost him. Yeah, you know, as in it might have cost him um, the win. By pitting both and then sights on fresh softs might have just been a bit more competitive and they'd had to swap them or would have let them race it out. But you know, he he um I think you're right, he was a bit almost a bit too timid in uh, in his radio messages. I wonder whether this is gonna be the moment though, where he does really genuinely start think he's gonna have to change his approach now going forward. We've seen in the past he's been able to do that, you know, the way that he's gone racing when they were changing the rules and you know how far you can push each other and how far you can get close. And he was able to adapt then. And I wonder whether this is that was the moment where he's gonna say, Well, okay, fine. If that's what I've got to do, then that's what I'm going to start doing because we're, he's running out of time. They might have already lost too many points. You know, we're almost halfway through the season. It might already be too late, but he may as well go for it now, right? He may as well try and throw everything at it and 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 change his approach because not being the nice guy. And I wonder whether it's experience as well. Like Carlos has obviously been around a lot longer now than Charles, and he he might just feel more confident in his skin. He's raced for multiple teams. He might just feel more comfortable, kind of doing that because it's not an easy thing is it to kind of take the Lewis approach of being quite 
tough on team radio um especially if it's like a, a, a personality change almost in in that approach it's not an easy thing to do but there's no doubt that he's talented there's no doubt that he's hungry to win and maybe this is just what it's going to take to to flip things around yeah i think and and i think some of it also comes down to who your race engineer is as well right like in in bono and gp lewis and max have two very thick-skinned engineers who are happy to just be sworn at all race and gp especially with max is like max shut up be quiet like do this and he's really good at it but you don't you on both sides of the i almost feel like when they're talking like ferrari almost like they're worried about saying all right we're on plan b now like you know they're always i don't know there's just something about their interactions that aren't the same as any other team so um but yeah you're right i, I think leclerc needs to like this it's now or never right for this season like I, I i still think the championship's probably too far but who knows like things could turn around max could have a string of bad luck or something um and yeah that's such a big issue um, we were all kind of, I mean, Meadows was sat on the same row as me in the media centre. Everyone in the media centre was just like, Ferrari are just going to throw this away, aren't they? Like, it would have been cool if at home, if that, that would have been a cool story if Lewis had won in, in normal circumstances. But I was also like, I was like, come on, like the story can't be again that Ferrari just like handed this on a plate to another team. Like it just, you can't have that race again. So I think um, while I did say in the review that Carlos got lucky, which I think he did because he made that mistake at Beckett's. I think he actually, he kind of redeemed himself later in the race. Like, he did really, really well. And his start, I just watched the, the replay before we started, like, this morning. And both of his starts were fantastic. Like, he kept Max behind him really well. So, um, a good mix of bad luck and, um, uh, sorry, of, of, of good luck um, and good driving. So, and you need that. You need both those things to win, don't you? So Didn't Max get well. ahead of him on the first start? But then it was red flagged quickly. I feel like that one, he was jumped. You're right, actually. Sorry, yes, you are. And then on the second one... The second he, one was brilliant. Yeah, Science like, just was like, there's no chance you're coming past me at all. That's how you've anything. got to race Max. I, that's yeah. just Which what you've Lewis got to do. Last year, right? Mm-hmm. You've, got to, you've got to be like, I'm sorry, but... And look at the way Max raced against Mick later on. I, I feel like what, one frustrating thing that came out of this race was everybody was putting the side-by-side of Lewis and Leclerc next to the Max and Lewis incident from last year, even though they were two very different incidents. And they're like, look, it clearly was Lewis's fault because he was further over against Max. But it's like, the the point is with Max versus uh, Charles is that Charles is a much, uh, gives you that space to race. And I think that you saw with Max and when he was like holding off Mick, he was basically just pushing the guy off the track. And at the start, what Carlos did was he was like, well, I'm not letting you do this. Like, like if you want to, if you want to take the lead from me, we're going to collide, which is exactly what Lewis did last year. And they did collide. And I think Max is now, backed off a bit now that he's got a championship which again fair enough like that's a fair way to a fair way to race i'm not having a having a dig at max necessarily because senna used to do the same thing right um but i think people are learning that there's a way there's a there's a race craft you need against max if you want to beat him um and that's good as well from from carlos to see because you know leclerc i don't think leclerc always shows that same fight against max he did in was it saudi this year or my, no, Saudi's when Max got past him, but they did have that fight, didn't they, a bit? So they think slowly people are realising, like, hey, this is... Lewis has kind of set the blueprint of how you beat or how you try and beat Max. And I'd, so I'd say people do it. I'd say Leclerc does do that. I think, like uh, Lawrence said, when it was Austria and Max basically biffed mm. Leclerc off to take the win, um, and Leclerc was like, okay, if that's allowed, then that's how we're going to race. Goes to the next race a week later. It's, it's basically the situation we're in now, but reversed, isn't it? It was Austria, then Silverstone back-to-back. And at Silverstone, yeah. they had an epic fight. You know, no one gave an inch, and they they kept it just about clean. Uh, and it was really good to see that Leclerc did that in in a response. He knew exactly where the line suddenly was, where it moved to, and hit it. And yeah. there was still enough respect between the two of them to get away with it, really. But yeah, the bit I saw from Max on Sunday was 
final corner against Mick. And he aimed for the apex, basically, at the very final corner where Mick had a run on him. And he kind of said to Mick, he was like, like, you might have a run on me, but it's 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 collide or back out. Like, And I actually think rightly so. Like, It was the final corner of the final lap with points on the line. I imagine contact would have taken them both over the line anyway. Um, yeah. Like, yeah. Likely Max ahead of Mick <laughs> still. But he was like, you know, he knew he was under pressure. But I think just on the right side of it kind of gave Mick a decision. He's like, you know, there's a chance you could have got two cars through, maybe, but it was unlikely. And Max was like, you know, if you want to take that momentum to the line, you're going to have to knock me out the way to do it. Um, and I actually really admired that in the, in such a bad race, essentially. He was still scrapping with everything he's got, like he used to fight Lewis, like he fights anyone else, with Mick Schumacher for seventh place. Like, that's his mindset. It doesn't matter who it is. That is just how Max will always race. And I think every driver gets that now. Um, yeah. And I don't think any driver then has any um, doubt over what they have to do or how they have to race him. But uh, I also liked to see it. that he, you know, It wasn't like his head went down and he was like, oh, this is a terrible race. Do you remember Nico Rosberg in uh, Monaco having that shocker mm. in the wet? And Hulkenberg beat him to the line out the final corner. And everyone like, was like, what are you doing? Yeah, and yeah. I do feel yeah. like it was almost just like it had been a terrible race anyway. And it was just like to him, the final nail in the coffin of that race was like, yeah, typical, I lost that position too. Like he wasn't, he wasn't defend. I felt like he wasn't defending with absolutely everything and then some. Um, and it's hard because it's a straighter run. But there's there's moments where you see it and you just see a mindset from a driver. And I I, I like the way that to Max, it was almost as if he was fighting for the win on at that final corner. He approached it the same way. So that could turn yeah. out to be crucial by the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and I think that's why why Max has so many fans, right? And it's why he's such a compelling driver to follow because he just he he does he does race like every lap is kind of his last one. So. Yeah, it wasn't wasn't meant to be a, a knock at Max, but um, yeah, it's 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 cool to see because like you, yeah, I think you're right. Like last year probably taught him as well. Like every point this season is going to be absolutely key. So I can't I can't leave one on. You know, was it that would have been two points? Can't leave two points on the table. Um, mm. you know, because it could come down to it could come down to Abu Dhabi again. Um, unlikely, but it could. You never know. Um, I think this time last year none of us thought it would go down to Abu Dhabi. I still thought Max was going to win at this point last year even after Silverstone. Um, so it shows you how th- quickly things can turn around. But. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think for these next three races before the summer break, Charles realistically needs to get, he needs to take points off Max overall, but it, yeah, realistically with like two two wins out of three, uh, I think is what he needs. Yeah, Max might end up winning one and being second in the other two, and you can't really do anything about that. But I think that the Ferrari, uh, at Paul Ricard is going to be pretty strong, I imagine. Um I'm, I still can't tell actually how Austria is going to pan out, and and even Hungary actually um, as a lower speed one. But um, yeah, I th- yeah, maybe Hungary will still suit them as well. But I just think he needs he needs to take that momentum, he needs a bit of confidence from wins, and needs to put two wins on Red Bull just to say this isn't over, and just build a bit of pressure. So um, without that, I think it becomes very hard. But we'll see if it actually plays out that way. Um, I wanted to say something that was actually very cool though, unless everyone still wants to chat title no, no. stuff but I it just feels far too weighted towards normal formula one chat um <laughs> seb doing that run in mansell's old williams on sunday mm. was epic and i think he was far far happier doing those three laps and getting out of the car and looking at it than he was doing a whole grand prix later on the day yeah i think so well that yeah that was proper i mean you think about how old vettel is like he would have when he was a kid that would have been a car he was like i want to this is what i want to do when i'm older you know he would have been what how old's how old's vettel he would have been He's 35. He, he was 35 on Sunday. Yeah, right. So he's a few, a few years older than me. So he would have been, what, six or seven years old when that car was, 
go around. And when you're that age, everything is just cooler, isn't it? Like whether it's an F1 car, like an X-Wing or a rocket, whatever it is, you're like, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. So he had that real boyish enthusiasm to him. To him. And um, is it true, did, didn't he, I think, I read that the fans were saying he, he like slowed down as if he was going to stop at the end of his second lap and then he just went off and did a third. I don't know whether that was planned or not. But I would no, totally just be like, if you if you want this car back, you're going to have to come and like literally take it off me. <laughs> well, I always he, I always wonder if they say like uh, I might just stay out here all day. But you say that two things. One knows it was planned to do three. I was stood next to Britta, his um, press officer, and in a sense, she kind of manages him, doesn't she? She does everything yeah. with him. Um, they were talking about what how much effort had gone into it, like the work it had been just to run this car. Um, also because of the the special fuel they were using that was. Um, fully sustainable fuel that they wanted to run the car on and show that that was possible and it still sounded great uh, but also Seb owns that car so mm. he didn't need to give it back to them I think Williams Heritage were running it for him but he owns that yeah, car yeah you're right yeah cool. yeah what a cool thing just to own casually just be like yeah I own I own a Mansell 92 car but also cool that Nigel was there on the day as well so that could mm. you know see him drive it around and then they had a really nice chat afterwards and it's kind of keeping the history alive isn't it um while also looking to the future by using that carbon neutral fuel so um i don't think i've seen said that happy for years genuinely when no, he got out of the yeah. car he was genuinely that happy and i wonder how much that probably had an impact on the rest of his afternoon because he's obviously driving a car at the moment that isn't that competitive and mm. um you know i'm not saying he struggles for motivation but that just that buzz that he would have got from those few laps in that car almost certainly, I'm sure, had a positive impact on the way that he approached the Grand Prix um, later Apart in that turn day. one, when he punted Alex into the wall. Yeah, but come on. I yeah. mean, they were all yeah, backing was, up. That was, that was, yeah, they were yeah, backing yeah, up so difficult. quickly, right? So, yeah. at that point. Well, I remember so... just on that on that point, I remember when I chatted to Danny Rick last year when he did the Dale Earnhardt run, he was just like, he was like, it's made my weekend. Like, I'm buzzing. And he just said the whole weekend, I was like, I was, you know, big grin on his face and everything. So I think you're right. I think there is something to that. And we forget, I think it's very easy to forget that these guys, they get motivated or demotivated exactly the same way as anyone else mm -hmm. does. You know, you can be feeling, you can be having a bad day, you can be having a great day. It does impact the way you approach work. So I think Vettel, yeah, like you could see, couldn't you, on his face when he was there, he was just like, this is the best day. This is the best thing I've done for a long time. And I also think that um, the reason why um, when he does things like this, it's actually more of a reason for him to want to stay in Formula 1. Because I think he can see that being a Formula One driver coming to all these races gives him the opportunity to basically do whatever he wants. Like he obviously organized this completely separate of Aston Martin. This was just the thing he spoke directly to Formula One about to get booked the track time to get the car out on the circuit. He sorted all of the, you know, he sorted out the, the carbon neutral fuel because he wanted to do it. And so he won't get to do that once he leaves Formula One. So I actually think, and I don't know this for certain, of course, but like I think this this would be another reason for him to stick around in Formula One over the, the next couple of years. Um, and I actually think that happens to be a really good thing. It's funny yeah, you mentioned Aston Martin because I want to get on to him in a sec. Although, firstly, when Nigel saw the car as well, I mean, the guy's 60, I want to say, and he was climbing the <laughs> fence trying to get a view and I was really worried that he was going to fall off it. But he was so keen to see the car run and then so excited to get down on the track. And then when Lewis came to have a look, because Mick had come and had a look, Lewis and George came over, I think. And when Lewis came, uh, Nigel was like raising his arms to the crowd and getting them to go crazy. And then the crowd burst into a rendition of Happy Birthday to Seb that was really nice. I don't know who started it, but they did really well to get the whole grandstand going. Uh, but yeah, then he got in an Aston Martin car. And that was, I think, the night after you boys had been at Aston Martin. Um, actually, it was just me. It was yeah, just me that went because Nate didn't reply in time. 
Yeah. So then when I did, I said, hey, I'd love to come if there's still space. They said there's not space. <laughs> and then even though some people pulled out, there was still no capacity afterwards. Like, yeah, like me. I, uh, yeah. I then emailed I them went. again. They said, no, we're still at capacity. So only Lawrence went. So only I um, went. And it was, um, it, was at the, it was at the factory, which is just – it, which is – People say the word literally, they misuse it a lot, but this literally is over the road from the, from the factory. Like you come out of Silverstone, go around two roundabouts, and then you're there, aren't you? Yeah. And they've got this really cool marquee set up uh, on their lawn of in front of what was the original factory. So at the moment, most of the team, I think, are in porter cabins on like multiple level porter cabins, working out of it while they're um, waiting for their new factory to be finished off. But um, to kind of give it almost a test run, this hospitality unit um, outside the factory for the guests on Sunday, um, the, t- the comms team invited a group of media for a, a three-course sit-down dinner. Um, there was an option to do pit stop practice. There were some simulators. Um, but obviously, I was most excited about the food. Um, and I can <laughs> say that the food uh, was very good. We had a duck breast uh, for, for main course. Um, we had like a, a pineapple-type honeycomb cake for pudding and a courgette wow. and fennel starter it was uh delicious sorry i've just got my food fixed now so yeah but so thank you very much for Aston martin for having me sorry that meadows couldn't make it and sorry that they did reply tide but we appreciate it <laughs> i mean my, <laughs> my fault did you more importantly did you do any pit stop practice yourself do you think there's a lost profession that you could have had um i did not do pit stop practice myself but having been lucky enough to take part in pit stop practice by being sat in the car um, at Williams when they let me do it in 2019 at Belgium, um, I know that I've got no chance. Basically, I can barely lift the tire um, up. So <laughs> they're huge, aren't they? Tires when you actually like, yeah, you see all the guys that carry them. I mean, I've told you guys this. I'll tell this quick story. When I when I got on my flight for Miami, you always worry, don't you, when you get on a flight? You're like, I hope I'm not next. Like I hope I'm next like somebody small because <laughs> yeah, you know, me, I'm quite I'm quite a broad person, so I always want that. And when I got to the, I always sit at the back end of the plane got onto the, the back bit of, of the um, the British Airways flight I was on. And I could see the first person I saw on my side was this, was this like, absolute, like, this huge dude. And I mean huge in terms of just wide and, you know, just very broad, um, big beard. And I was looking at him, and there was a seat next to him free, and I was like, that's roughly where I'm sat in this on this flight. I know for a fact. And we, like, our eyes locked, and I just walked. And as I got closer, all the people in front of me filtered into other seats, and I was like, oh. I got to, I was like, Hello, <laughs> and, he, and he said, um, "He was like, I knew, I knew you'd be sitting here." But it turns out, long story short, he is uh, Williams is one of the Williams Pirelli mechanics, and he um, it, luckily there was a seat free in front of us, so he moved, and we both had so you know crisis averted. Everyone, don't worry about it. But he's he's a big guy. He used to be in the army, and I was just like, man, your job basically is just lifting tires all day. And he's like, yeah, like like you have to be you, you you like there has to be like a training regime to do this basically because you couldn't just pick one up and just throw it on the car like they're all they're all in in great shape so that was a very long-winded way of saying yes they need to be strong to look at <laughs> i am um, i was having to steal Preddy's wi-fi for most of sunday to be on the radio because phone signal was non-existent at silverstone it's almost like they you know don't expect the 140,000 people to show up and need a bit more added signal boost. So um, I couldn't go on the grid and do live stuff. I had to go and like run and interview people and come back and send it. And when I was doing that, I was stood up the front of Preddy where they have like their tires on display. So they have the three slicks on one side of the door and the two wets on the other, uh, just in like little uh, holders. And 
the amount of people that come up and they're like, oh, and pick one up. They want to know how heavy it is and what it like, how yeah. it feels. And they struggle, but they're like, they can pick it up. But they're just kind of like, at first, they're like, oh, can I? Is it loose? Like, how heavy is it? And they're starting, and I'm like, oh, I can hold it, but it's it's big, uh, and it's the size, isn't it? As well, it's an, it's an awkward size. So, um, yeah, they're not. It's not. It's not an easy gig moving those around all the time. But um, speaking of free food, I'm going to give another thanks to Mercedes who gave us a free curry in Buckingham. It's not quite the Aston Martin level that Beretta's just talked about, but you know. Oh, but still we're, delicious. We're more than, yeah, we're more yeah, than thankful. Delicious. Um, that was that was fun. That was just they just um, they took us for just a bit of a cool evening, really. Um, just showed us some stuff and took us for dinner. It was very nice. It's, it's weird, isn't it, Silverstone? It's our home race. And it is a huge event. It's very cool. I think once you're there and you realise how big it is, then the more people that go, uh, um, or the more people that ask you about it that aren't from the UK, you realise, okay, this this stands out as a big event on the F1 calendar. It's not just that we're looking at it differently as our home race. Um, but everyone ends up spread out everywhere because they can stay at home or they can stay with family or there's only someone you know or you have to get an Airbnb here, there or anywhere. Like There's no one set place that everyone stays, which is unlike you know certain city-based races or whatever where everyone can be roughly within walking distance of each other or a short uber so the social side of it isn't actually that good normally so it's very kind of a couple of teams to put some stuff on so that um we could have a social life until sunday and when we were all working till silly o'clock but on the uh, on the subject of that i just thought that this event i think silverstone's always been a great event especially in the last few years in terms of people but there are over four hundred thousand there this weekend i thought the atmosphere was awesome i also thought the way that the 2022 cars raced on this track that opening sequence where they had multiple lines we got some really good racing i just thought that this was like a blueprint for let's just hope that every single grand prix uh could be like this i think this is what we can aspire to i thought it was a great event i bloody love silverstone i thought this was a great weekend i think races now are becoming very you have to be like that you have to like there's no space now for um events where there isn't great enthusiasm for them i think they stand out now don't they mm-hmm. races where there's not a great fan base even like even spain i remember spain we turned up and on the fridays the grandstands were pretty busy pretty full which wasn't usually the case so i think now it's a really it's a really healthy sign like there was it wasn't that long ago you'd go to a lot of places and like like um the joke always in china was there was always those those grandstands that were so empty they just put that they put that like hoarding over that sheet. They? Yeah, they put a sheet of yeah, advertising. That made, yeah. like, that made it look, look like it wasn't a massive like section of grandstands that were empty. But um, I agree with you. The, the atmosphere at Silverstone is always great, and that was like the the moment when Lewis got past um, Checo and um, and Charles, and then when they got him back later, the noise. Even in the media center, you could hear it, and usually that's quite well insulated. But the noise was the place was just going absolutely bonkers. So it was it was awesome. So on that China thing, I also think they found that those grandstands were sinking, so they couldn't use them anymore. Oh, that's that's right. You're right. You're right. But so. you're right. They were never filling them. But um, yeah, they. That's why they were like, ah, oh, well, seeing as they're unusable, we'll make them advertising, even though it's just because nobody's going to sit in them. Um, but yeah, you're right. With Silverstone, there's a guy you know, Nate uh, Tristan Barkley, who yeah. um, you used to work with, and I play football with. Played football with him last night, and he'd been to Silverstone for the race, and it was his first Grand Prix, and he said, uh, hands down the best sporting event he's ever been to. Wow. Uh, which actually amazed me, for starters, because traffic was a nightmare. Um, mm-hmm. But he said that the atmosphere was incredible, like the event was amazing, so much going on. But the, the racing, he said, he's never been to an event like it where, because he was supporting Hamilton, and he said every time the driver that anyone was supporting came by, 
they're going crazy. And he yeah. said it's like like an important goal being scored every two minutes because every time they come past, you go crazy again. And he said it was just unbelievable. And I did say he was probably kind of lucky in the sense that Lewis had a really good race. It was a thriller. Uh, he was competitive. You know, if you're a George fan, you didn't even get him to come by once, which would be heartbreaking. Yeah, so, um, Or I said that, or a Joe fan, or if you're an album fan, or if you were, um, I suppose that was the only three that actually retired, wasn't it, at that point? Somehow Ocon yeah. and Sonoda got back and got repaired. But... Yeah, like if that's one of your drivers, then obviously it, it hurts that they're in the race, they're starting the race, and you don't see them race. But um, yeah, yeah he, he was saying it was incredible and that he's gone from being a follower of F1 who would watch races and kind of keep an eye on what's going on to someone who is desperate to go to more races. And, and you know, he knows it's expensive and he's like, I can't wait to go again. I, I need to go to more races. So I think F1's in such a good spot in the sense that it's hit way more people, a much bigger market recently more people are interested but the product on track that it's delivering mm. is really good not every race is a classic obviously but it's got that potential to be that good that makes people want to go and see it um so yeah i think silverstone absolutely nailed it in that in that sense but um yeah it was uh it was nice to hear really nice like way to kind of end yesterday to be like oh you know because right now we're in the middle of a double header and we're all shattered and like so busy uh but when you hear people enjoying it like that you're like Actually, that's a nice little boost. Mm. Yeah, I had I've actually messaged him this morning to see how how he enjoyed it. Um, but that's good to hear. Um, it's similar to um, the first time when we went to Zandvoort last year. I remember we I think we told the story at the time, but obviously our screens are slightly delayed to what is happening out, outside, and we all knew Max had taken pole, didn't we? Within like a second of it being on the screen, because the place just went absolutely wild, mm. and that was what was happening. Like like Tristan said to you, like so often in and even before the race like we were on the grid before the race and the atmosphere before them was i was like am i am i, am I missing something like as you know a, a car's already going around because they were reacting as if as if the track was live and obviously then the red arrows came over which is always awesome um so yeah really like you say really good to see f1's in a really good place i'm glad i'm glad this boom didn't happen like five years ago because it might not have been so compelling mm -hmm. but f1's really it's probably pretty lucky right because we've got this like golden generation of young guys coming through you got like led by max and charles but like just younger people that I think probably like more people can identify with, and then older guys like Vettel and Hamilton and Alonso, who you know are just legends and are very are also well not Vettel because everyone loves Vettel, but Alonso and Hamilton are two great figures as well because I think they're very Marmite figures, aren't they? You either love you either absolutely love that guy or you absolutely really don't like them, um, and every sport needs that. So yeah, I think it's in a great place and um, hard to see. It's hard to imagine it getting bigger, but Silverstone next year is going to be way bigger than this year, which is like, I can't imagine what that'll be like, but you just know it will be. Yeah. So, so talking about uh, great figures, uh, yesterday um, we had, uh, there was a memorial for Sir Frank Williams at Westminster Cathedral. Like I've never been in Westminster Cathedral. It is an extraordinary building and it felt fitting uh, to celebrate uh, the life of an extraordinary man. So obviously when Frank, passed away last year in November um it wasn't really COVID was still a thing and so it wasn't really feasible to 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 celebrate his life um and get all of the numbers and all of the people that would have wanted to go and pay their respects to him so um Claire organized Claire and her two brothers organized um the a memorial the day after Silverstone so yesterday um in the cathedral and I think I reckon there was at least a thousand people there probably uh the place looked near enough full um and it was a really nice uh tribute to frank i was really lucky i think that i got to spend a fair bit of time with him um 
uh, kind of at the start of my career, he was always really nice to me, um, always spoke to me, and I always found it strange that he wanted to talk to me when there were far more important people around. Um, and then thereafter, uh, he would always say hello to me, so I, you know, and have a chat. So it was so it was really nice to kind of be there and be able to um, pay my respects for him. Patrick Head was there, and he did a really nice eulogy about the racing days and the great times that they had and how they all started in a carpet factory and how it was always scraping about to, to try and go racing. And there was a really nice story from uh, Jamie, who is Frank's brother-in-law, uh, Ginny's brother, his wife. Um, he was saying that uh, Frank even had to borrow the eight pounds it costs for them to get married at the registry office. And then even when the wedding was done, Frank didn't stay for the reception afterwards. He went back to the factory to start working and only then briefly popped in for the dinner in the evening just to say hello before he went back to the factory. Like, how hardcore is that? Very patient wife, by the sounds of it. Yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> what I was going to say. Like, um, But it was just a really nice opportunity, I think, for, for plenty of people who've worked with Frank over, what, the 60 years that he was a team principal, to get together. Some some people even flew in from Australia. Michael Driscoll is the, the old chief financial officer. He came over from America. Like People flew a long way to come and pay respect so i thought it was just a really nice day and uh just really nice to see everyone and talk about frank really that's amazing yeah that's a long way to come but good that people can do it now definitely did the right thing waiting i guess because yeah it kind of kind of caught me out the timing of it because you think it would have been done over christmas or over the winter uh, and then you're like oh i hadn't realized that that hadn't actually happened so looked like a lovely day and yeah really nice way well timed as well isn't it around the british grand prix when there's so much uh, love for Frank, so definitely. So yeah. Um, well, on that note, shall we? Shall we call it quits? I think we've talked for quite a long time today. I feel like you've almost. I've almost talked you guys out. It's almost. Mate, it's really. been. Uh... It's not happened yet. Yeah, <laughs> we found the time, though, didn't we? Like we've all got a like hot foot now to Austria. I think you guys go tomorrow morning. Yeah, first. Thing. Yes, uh, I'm tomorrow afternoon. Sorry, but yeah, but e- e- equally. So I look forward when you arrive in Meadows. Right away from Biggin Hill. <laughs> i don't arrive oh, till yes. thursday morning i fly like silly o'clock so i have to get up at like three thirty to get down there but it's, it's because when i leave for austria i don't come back for over 10 days because i'm going to the u.s from austria to drive a formula four car which is going to be a lot of fun um i cannot wait for the next pod so we can talk about that yeah. it sounds awesome yeah it's three days in a formula four car so i'm looking forward to that but um well meadows would have quit yeah, the pod because he'll be, still to come. he'll be racing an american formula four, formula four by then won't he? he'll be like I'm, I'm now a racing driver that could still be part of the pod though yeah true yeah yeah that's yeah true wasn't um, then we wasn't then we can sell it on having a racing driver on our pod. i'll have a uh, pad hoc branding on my car yeah true oh, what, that's what i should have done i should have got a sticker I should have taken a sticker with me that'd be a great livery is this the, hang on this is an opportunity isn't it to take your own racing helmet i am i am taking oh, my own yes. helmet yeah yeah that's coming yeah. with me because it fits well so um i actually checked with my flights to austria i had to make sure i had the right sort of ticket to have two pieces of hand luggage because you've got to take a helmet as hand luggage and um i had to ask kind of like driver trainers and team members just like what happens with helmets how do you transport them because you normally see them in helmet bags just on the plane but i'm like is it extra cost or whatever so yeah got that sorted i'm gonna be one of those wankers um so that's me next week well that's me on thursday morning and my big fear is forgetting it it's like early in the morning landing getting off just grabbing my normal bag and forgetting that i've actually got an extra bag so i've got to make sure i don't do that but then this is the the highlight of austria coming up nate and i uh, along with uh, lawrence Edmondson and ben hunt are staying in a water park yeah down (laughs) 
about an hour and a half drive away from the circuit because accommodation was a nightmare. So, A, we're going to put a lot of miles on our hire cars, but B, it's a water park. That is awesome. Uh, yeah, I think, sadly, this is, this, this is one of the sad things about Formula 1. I don't know if we're going to get to actually use the water park, try it out. Um, no, we won't. <laughs> we'll just drive past it every day, but I feel like that's going to be that's going to haunt us, isn't it, for, for weeks after this. We're like, great race, but didn't get to go down the big slide. No, exactly, because it's going to be closed. When we're going to have to leave so early in the morning and get back so late at night that it's never, unless it's a twenty-four hour water park. But I don't think it is. Um, so we'll update people next week if we did manage to use any any slides, because I know that's what people really want to know. <laughs> what a pod this is going to be! Water slides and Meadows driving around a racetrack. I cannot wait. Um, thanks very much, chaps. It's been an absolute pleasure as always. Uh, please remember to hit the subscribe button and follow us on our social channels at the Pad Hoc. You can read Medicine's work on Racer.com, Nate's work on ESPN.com, and my work on F1.com. And we will do this again next week. Bye. Bye. Network.